Hello, everybody. Welcome to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and today we have the first of a two-part interview with Jeremy Scott from the Electronic Privacy Information Center, or EPIC. i uh, really been looking forward to this. I've been trying to find somebody at EPIC to talk to for a long time now. They're doing some really great work there kind of along, along the lines of uh, EFF and some of these other uh, organizations that I've talked about that are out there fighting for your rights every single day um, and making a real difference. So I was really happy to finally get a contact in there and get Jeremy on the show. Uh, and today, uh, Jeremy's area of expertise is surveillance, and we're going to be talking about facial recognition technology, or FRT. It's really been exploding in use across not only this country, but around the world. And it's really kind of a wild, wild west right now. There's there's not a lot of laws and regulations, certainly not in this country, about how it can be used. And our computers and are getting good enough now to be able to do this quickly in real time. Uh, we've got cameras everywhere. And most of those cameras now are hooked up to computer systems and, and networks that, unlike the old, you know, closed circuit televisions of old, uh, where it was just kind of dumping off video to a little VHS tape in the back room, <laughs> Uh, these videos and these cameras are networked and they're accessible everywhere. And it's just too tempting. Uh, there's so many things that, you know, that we, that, you know, law enforcement agencies, even corporations and companies want to do. I mean, in the mall, you know, as you're walking through stores, you know, these things are now looking at you. Some, uh, sometimes they're remembering you, even if they don't know your name, they might remember that you've come back. But today we're really going to focus on government use of this technology, particular things like the TSA, uh, starting to roll this out now. You may have seen this at the airports where you can just walk up to the kiosk and show them your face to check in. You don't need your boarding pass. And you might wonder, how can you do that? Well, <laughs> the TSA and the Customs and Border Patrol um, or Border Protection Agencies, CBP, are part of the government agencies. And so they kind of went to some other government agencies like the DMV, like your local DMV or passport agency and say, well, hey, you've already got a bunch of pictures of Americans with their names and information. Can I have that? <laughs> and and sure, you know, we never signed up for that. So anyway, we'll we'll talk about all this with Jeremy Scott. So just one just one other story I'll throw out just as a little tease and it just as one place this could go. We just and illustrate how we just have not thought through all the different ways that this could be used and abused. Uh, somebody somewhere came up with a way to, I, I, where did he get the pictures? He must've got the pictures off of maybe social media or other public photo databases where the, you know, the photos are matched to names. And he went through some porn sites and using this technology recognized the women that were in these adult videos and exposed them. Like, you know, so it used to be, you know, maybe if you had a stage name or whatever, you, you know, no one would ever really know who you are. You could kind of do it on the side. If you were a stripper or an adult, adult film star, this guy basically automated the, the, the technology of face for facial recognition to go through these movies and try to identify the actresses and expose them. And of course, uh, I think he got a lot of blowback for that and shut it down, but it's just, anybody can do it. And there's lots of data out there to be had. And the implications of what we could do with that are honestly staggering. So let's get to it. Let's talk to our expert, Jeremy Scott. All right. Jeremy Scott is senior counsel at the Electronic Privacy Information Center, or EPIC. We've talked about them multiple times on the show. 
Uh, and he's director of the Epic Domestic Surveillance Project. He work, uh, his work focuses on the privacy issues implicated by uh, domestic surveillance programs with a particular focus on drones, AI, biometrics, and social media monitoring. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Jeremy, I'm so glad to finally speak with someone from your wonderful organization. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So today we're going to talk about the explosion of facial recognition technology in the U.S., uh, both commercial and governmental, and its myriad implications. But before we dive into that, since this is the first time I've had somebody from Epic, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your organization does? Sure thing. So we're a public interest research organization based in Washington, D.C. that focuses on emerging privacy issues. Uh, we actually started in the mid-90s and just had our 25th anniversary mm -hmm. this year. Uh, we do a lot of open government work, which means we file lots of Freedom of Information Act requests and sue the government when they don't respond to those requests or their response is inadequate. Uh, so we spend a lot of time suing agencies like the Department of Homeland Security, uh, TSA, uh, Customs and Border Protection, sometimes the NSA or the, um, the FBI. Uh, we focus on consumer privacy issues as well as government surveillance issues. Um, and a lot of our work is, you know, propagated through our website as well as through uh, the, the media. We do amicus briefs at the Supreme Court level as well as the as well as in the lower courts um, occasionally. Uh, we also file complaints with the Federal Trade Commission when we see consumer privacy issues that they think we think they should be addressing. And we do comments to agencies uh, regarding uh, privacy privacy issues raised by the, the work that they do. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> and we are very happy to have you out there doing those things for us. Um, okay, so let's dive into this. Before we go too much further, let's start with the basics. What what is facial recognition technology, FRT? How does it how does it work at like a high level? Like how does it how does it recognize faces? So basically, you know, the, the facial recognition software looks at your face and uh, takes measurements. So there's a bunch of landmarks that I will use, you know, your nose, your eyes, how far your eyes are apart. And basically you use those landmarks on the, on the face and, and, and measurements uh, to use in a mathematical formula that will create your kind of facial signature or, or mm -hmm. facial print that it then can use to compare against another image where it runs the same kind of kind of software and use the same mathematical formula. And so when those mathematical formulas, you know, the, the, the face print that it gets, the, the, the resulting kind of uh, output of it, if it matches or matches very closely, it will determine that, you know, two faces are an, an actual match. Gotcha. And, uh, and how accurate is this technology in your, in your view? Is it how, and does that accuracy vary by things like age or sex or race or any of those kind of things? Yeah, so the accuracy can vary quite a bit. Uh, you know, we, there are a lot of different companies that have their own facial recognition algorithm. They're not, you know, they're not the same. Each company has kind of their own uh, proprietary algorithm that they've developed. So it can range quite a bit. Um, they are they are fallible. They're not 100% accurate by any means. Even in ideal conditions, they're not 100%. Um, accurate and they're particularly inaccurate with uh, women and people of color and also sometimes uh, younger folks and then the accuracy obviously is going to get worse as there's an age discrepancy between the photo it's using mm -hmm. 
the base, you know, the known photo, the known image versus the kind of real time image it takes. Uh, so if, if they're right. using a photo that's 20 years old, right. uh, it's got probably going to be a little bit less accurate than if they have a more recent photo to compare you to. Right. Um, I would also have to think that you said under ideal, ideal conditions and there's, there are several ways this is being used. And, you know, the, you know, for example, the one we think about with our iPhones now that have face ID or TSA check-in or whatever, you know, you're, you're standing there looking straight at it with a perfectly good view, as opposed to some of the things like, you know, out on the public streets where they've just got public cameras that are, that are, could be looking at somebody from really weird angles or from a greater distance. Um, so the, you know, the, the use cases I would think would, you know, would be the accuracy would be very different depending on the use case. Uh, it is, it is, you know, like you mentioned at the airport, you know, they're using a kind of ideal conditions to have you stand right in front of the camera, you know, typically, you know, they'll want good lighting and they'll have good lighting there. Um, and even in those scenarios, it's not working the best, but in a, in a case where they're trying to run facial recognition kind of let's say out in the wild per se where, where you're you don't have a kind of cooperating individual who may just be um, walking around or on the run you catch an image that isn't in good lighting you catch an image that um, is not perfectly straight on mm -hmm. in those cases the accuracy starts dropping um, even more so and we since there are apparently and i've read this elsewhere and talked about this that that, that does appear to be a difference in accuracy depending on certainly people of color and also women I, i've heard this attributed to the fact that many of these systems were trained uh, because of the way these these systems ai and ml machine learning systems work as you kind of throw in a whole bunch of data at the at the at the beginning to train them up on how to recognize faces and then you take them to faces you don't know and a lot of these training data is white males <laughs> is is that a, is that your understanding too or is there some sort of inherent issue with uh, the color of your skin or something or or the shape of a female's face versus a male's that makes it inherently harder well that that's one of the kind of running theories and that's probably part of the issue so when you train the data on a particular group of people, then you try to use that resulting kind of facial recognition software on individuals that don't look like the people you trained it on, it's going to have trouble um, with accuracy in those situations. But there's also other factors at play here. Uh, for one, you know, cameras in general are, you know, and this is kind of a similar issue that we just discussed, but cameras in, in general are kind of uh you know they're they're set up to take pictures of light-skinned people mm -hmm. they weren't made and adjusted to to take pictures of darker skinned individuals and so a lot of times you see a picture someone who's darker in it you know the the quality of that picture is not as good as the lighter skinned person unless the person made an effort to adjust the different settings and the white balance etc on a camera, but the kind of default settings aren't as good for people with darker skin. So that may be part of the problem. Uh, the, the other part of the problem, particularly for, for women, if you're wearing uh, makeup, for instance, that may kind of throw off the algorithm. So those are a couple of the other theories in addition to the fact that the, the training set was, was of a particular group of people. Um, some of the other theories of why this doesn't work as well on women and people of color. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I remember actually when uh, maybe a year or two ago, one of the big things that Apple touted at their Worldwide Developer Conference with the new iPhone and the camera was that it was they had a, corrected for that. Like they they acknowledged the fact that that most cameras uh, and the software that that drives them was not particularly good at handling people with darker skin, and that was one of the big uh, features they touted. So yeah, I, I I get what you're saying there. Okay, so. Um, Facial recognition technology, FRT, is showing up everywhere these days. It seems like it's kind of exploded, and it seems like sort of all of a sudden. I'm sure it's been used to some degree in the recent past, but it really seems like it's, unless it's just me, like it's really just exploding. Is it because there's more news coverage of it and it's kind of being exposed, or is it really kind of a modern phenomenon? Well, probably a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, there is more new coverage, but part of that is because it is exploding a little bit. And, you know, there's a lot of factors for that. I mean, the government itself moving forward with a large-scale implementation at airports kind of mm -hmm. gives the technology a little bit more credibility. So I, I think that is impetus behind other movers in, in the space to kind of push forward the use of facial recognition technology. And, you know, when you have players like Amazon or Facebook who, you know, have their own facial recognition uh, uh, software, or, or algorithms are in it, especially Amazon, which is, you know, trying to sell the algorithm, pushing it mm -hmm. out, um, you know, to, you know, local and state police, even trying to get ICE to use it, et cetera. You know, that's going to obviously, you know, expand the use of the technology. And plus, you know, we're at a situation where there's a lot of cameras all over the place. Uh, and there's in the in the government and companies have a lot of photos of us that are kind of ripe for taking advantage of. And one of the ways to take mm -hmm. advantage of it is facial recognition technology. And this is combined with the fact that there's a lack of excuse me a lack of regulation with yeah. FRT, and it, right now it's kind of being sold as as a panacea. <laughs> so I mean, when you have all this information. Uh, you know, companies are going to try to find a way to take advantage of it. And there's tons of photos out there now because of social media uh, that is that yeah, yeah. is kind of ripe for taking advantage of. So they have the, these larger data sets uh, to use to try to train their, their facial recognition software. Yeah, so you, you mentioned uh, airports and, and, and ICE and some of these things. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of the governmental uses because that personally to me is kind of the chilling part. But And we'll talk about both. But we're definitely seeing this being used by, by law enforcement and immigration control and border protection. Uh, do we have a sense of how many – because I know they're starting to roll this out at different airports, and I've I heard they're starting to do it at ports of entry as well. Um, did, could you, do you have a rough idea of how widespread the use of this is right now? Um, with respect to its use by uh, Customs and Border Protection and other yes. parts of DHS with at the border and TSA, um, yeah. it's, and TSA. I mean, it's it's. I don't have an exact count of the airports, but it's probably in the teens. Mm. Um, Customs and Border Protection wants to have facial recognition at the twenty top airports in the United States by twenty twenty one. Uh, they're, they're actively pushing this forward, trying to implement it. They have been partnering in addition to, with TSA in order to help them implement um, facial recognition. Because what's happening is CBP's implementa implementation is part of uh, the what's called the Biometric Entry Exit Program. So you want to use a biometric to confirm 
your identity as you enter and leave the country. And they have decided they want to use face recognition. Part of this, as you might have guessed when I said earlier, is because they have the photos already. It's kind of easy. Mm-hmm. So they kind of default to this easy implementation mentality, you know, privacy, ethical, usual, ethical issues be damned. <laughs> um, and they got these photos from the State Department. The State Department has photos from every single person who applied for a passport right. Right, in a database. And CBP is basically, oh, we can leverage those photos. State Department says, fine, you know, you can leverage those photos and use it for facial recognition um, at airports. So right now it's probably in the teens in terms of the CBP's implementation. TSA is actively um, testing at various airports. It, you know, it's probably depending if there's an overlap with their kind of different pilots that they're, they're testing, maybe two, max three airports, I would say, TSA has facial recognition at, which they're trying to test the implementation of right now by using uh, Customs and Border Protection's back end. So they built kind of the back end to you know, be able to take a picture in real time then compare it to uh, the, the database of photos on, on the back end. And right now, they are not stopping at airports, but will be expanding it to all ports of entry. And they've already begun testing that in addition. So that means if you're going on a cruise ship, for example, um, there, there will be facial recognition at that port, that seaport, if you're driving across the border or walking across the border, uh, CBP eventually wants to have um, facial recognition capabilities at those ports of entry, those land ports. And they've actually tested some of this. I know uh, last, not this summer, but I guess it was last summer, they tested the use of facial recognition through windshields. So they, you know, Mm -hmm. as if it wasn't hard enough to have a a facial recognition match while you're standing directly in front of the camera and they want to see if they could do it through windshields as cars drove up wow. to you know a a, a land port uh, we actually commented on that to the agency and said and we said it was a bad idea <laughs> yeah. to do this and you know there's a lot of issues with facial recognition why don't we get some proper regulation and public consideration and congressional consideration of its use before we start using this technology on u.s citizens yeah, and yet, so yet passport databases. I've also heard they're using driver's license databases too. They're getting, they're sharing information with the states and, and pulling information from driver's license databases as well. And you know, I can't imagine that. I, I guess legally, I don't know how this works because obviously that was we, those that information was taken for one purpose, and yet it's all governmental purposes. So is it legally kosher for them to use this data for this other purpose without getting consent? I would say no. Um, obviously they would argue otherwise there, um, you know, in the context of when you leaving or entering the country and they're, and they're confirming your identity, the, you know, obviously the CBP has a legal right to confirm your identity, check your ID. Normally this happens with a passport photo. So they're going to argue we are doing only doing what we've always done is, which is to confirm your identity. Um, but it's a little bit different with facial recognition technology. I didn't hand over the photo to the State Department for them to create a digital ID and have the ability 
to identify me, you know, whenever they want, yeah. with or without my consent, or even with and without my knowledge. Right. Right. I gave it to them to get a, a document, a passport that I had control over in order to present right. um, to go the government agency when I saw fit in order to confirm my identity, not for the government to have that type of control and be able to basically create a database where they can do facial recognition in mass if they so choose. Wow. So uh, I, when I first saw this being used in TSA, and of course they, they're marketing it as uh, an efficiency thing, right? That's to get you through the line faster. Um, and when I had to, uh, I got a global, I got the TSA global entry. Um, uh, you know, of course I had to do all sorts of biometric stuff, you know, I think face and fingerprints for that. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really feel like I really had much of a choice. I've heard that there are supposedly ways at the TSA that if you wanted to kind of, I mean, it's, they've already got your data. It's, a, it's so opting, there's really no meaningful way to opt out. Right. So, but, but I've heard that you can, at least if you want to kind of protest a little bit, you can, as you go through TSA decline somehow to use your face's recognition. Is that, is that, is that, is that true? Is there other ways can, you know, if, if you get presented with this, if you're going to a port of entry or if you're going through the a scan at TSA, can you say, you know what, I'm, I'm conscious, conscientiously objecting. I would like another way of identifying myself. So as a U.S. citizen, you definitely have a right to opt out of its use. Um, it's a little, it's not as clear for non U.S. citizens, you know, the, there is essentially an act that required Department of Homeland Security to implement a biometric entry exit program um, for the biometric confirmation of non-U.S. citizens mm. exiting and entering the country. You know, a lot, the main kind of purpose of this was to be able to do a better job of confirming when visa overstays had left in order to also confirm that they're trying to come back and, and not let them back in if, if their visa was overstayed. Um, but again, you know, the convenience factor for CBP, they just thought it was too hard to divvy up people, non-U.S. citizens, U.S. citizens. So they, they basically said, oh, we're just going to do it on everyone. And then TSA was like, well, you know, I guess – well, if you're doing it as they come and go, why don't we just do it in the security line for everyone else, even right. domestic domestic travelers? That's what they're testing. And again, that's the TSA part is not at many airports at this point. And there should be a way to opt out of that if they further the implementation. As a matter of fact, if you look at the biometrics roadmap for TSA that discusses the use of facial recognition, they explicitly say this this will be an opt-in. <laughs> use of facial recognition so in theory individuals will have to choose to use it it won't be an opt-out like cbp decided to basically create an opt-out where everyone is subject to it unless you actually speak up and say mm -hmm. no i don't want to do this but you know it doesn't happen a lot when you're at the airport you're already stressed enough <laughs> um, they have these little small signs up to the side that basically right. say you can opt out you don't know what they're talking about you just want to get to your flight right um, so a lot of people don't end up opting out because they're just not really fully aware of what's going on or the implications of the use of this type of technology. So we've, we, you mentioned briefly some, some Facebook and Amazon and others also getting in this game. 
uh, do we know of any cases where the private companies are sharing data, this facial data? Because obviously Instagram, Facebook, these guys, they've got tons of pictures of our faces. And, they, you know, not just one good, you know, headshot, but they've got many, many from different angles or whatever. Uh, I would think that they, that data would be invaluable uh, to anybody, honestly, but <laughs> who wants to do this, but certainly to law enforcement and intelligence agencies and uh, immigration services. Do we know if they're sharing that data? Well, I, don't, I don't know any, I don't recall at the moment any systematic sharing of data like that. But I mean, that information is being used in a way that is then being sold to law enforcement. And mm-hmm. allow me to explain. So there, for example, uh, there was this app called, I think, Ever App. Maybe e- either way, it was a it was a photo sharing app mm-hmm. that millions of people uploaded photos to. And unbeknownst to these millions and millions of people, uh, the company used them and their photos to develop facial recognition tools, so their own facial right. recognition software that they then sold that software, that facial recognition technology to law enforcement agencies to use, right? So your photos a lot of times are being used by these companies in order to create facial recognition technology or, or software that's then being sold to you don't know you. could be law enforcement. It could be, you know, the dictator of some other country. You really don't know. Like right. a lot of times these technologies end up in, you know, you know, less than savory governments inside mm-hmm. the US and, and and it's US companies providing that software. Well, I, I don't know if it's the same app you're talking about. There was a there was an app that was very possible po- popular recently that aged you. You took a picture of yourself and it aged you. It could t- okay, tell me what I look like in ten years. Show me what I look like in twenty years. And it was all the rage. Um, and Instagram has had this and has had this stuff for a long time. You know where it does funny things to your face and puts you know dog ears on you or <laughs> all these kind of things. So people are voluntarily doing all these things with these quote unquote free apps. And yeah, and, and and I think that in that case, they did find that the company that was doing this was giving away the app for free, but they were the reasoning behind it was behind the scenes. They were using all this data to train up some facial recognition systems. Um, and that's not unheard of for Google. Uh, I remember Google a long time ago had used to have a service called Google 411. And you could, because back in, back in the day, 411 calls on your cell phone cost money. Uh, Google's was free. You could call Google anytime, but what they were doing and why they offered it for free was what they were really using that data for was to help train voice recognition systems. And then eventually when they got all the data they want, they shut the service down. They did, you know, it's free. They didn't care. Um, so yeah, there's you know, a lot of these free apps or there's a lot of ulterior motives in here. So yeah. And in the example you gave, there's a couple other, um, issues that kind of why it became kind of such a, a newsworthy item. Um, you know, I forget, you know, maybe there were, I don't, I don't recall personally if they were using it uh, to create facial recognition software, but part of the brouhaha with it was two things. One, it was, it was like a Russian owned company. Mm, right. Yeah. And two, um, the kind of policy, user policy, privacy policy, uh, like terms of service were extremely broad, basically <laughs> right. saying we have access to anything on your phone. Um, you know, something to that effect was overly broad yes. um, access that it was uh, basically telling you it was going to have that wasn't necessary at all mm-hmm. for the purposes of the app. So that kind of raised uh, people's ears a little bit. It's like, you know, 
excuse me, uh, why? <laughs> so, you know, the fact that that kind of wide, broad access, along with it being connected to Russia, given the current, you know, political yeah. climate, kind of uh, created a, a news story out, out of it. But it, it also just kind of points to a, a, the larger problem, which isn't uh, just confined to this, you know, Russia-connected app, but there is kind of a lack of protections for users' data. So, you know, that's why a company can take your photos and decide to use it to create a facial recognition software that they didn't sell to law enforcement, et cetera. And part of the kind of larger issue here and what facial recognition is showing us is that, you know, I gave my photo over for a particular purpose and now I've lost complete control over it and there's new technology comes along and they're using my photos. Like what other technologies are going to come along mm -hmm. similar to facial recognition in the sense that it's advancing because it's kind of a machine learning technology, machine learning algorithms. You know, what other information about me? You know, is this similar situation to happen where, you know, I didn't even know this was a possibility right. at the time I gave the information over. Now, 10 years down the road, they're able to do all these things and I don't have any say over it. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And it, there's, it goes so deep. And that's really, honestly, that's the heart of this whole information age uh, data sharing problem we've got is that is that it's possible to collect and store all of this data and they don't even have to know what they can do with it yet. And, and you know, they just, they can save it forever. We've got enough storage space. It's cheap. We can actually save this data forever and come back to it later when you come up with that cool new use for it, some other way to monetize that data. So, and yeah, you know, there are obviously some, some really cool things we could be doing this there there's there are positive benefits to this technology that we could that we could theorize and some that are being in use and we'll get to some devil's advocate stuff in a little bit but for now what what are the practical aspects of being falsely identified by these systems for instance if i was if these systems are looking for suspected terrorists and for some reason i look like one and i get flagged now I'm always going to look like that guy <laughs> you know am i always just going to get flagged every time i go to the airport now because i happen to look like somebody else well, it depends. I mean, if, if, you know, they'll have to improve their kind of facial recognition software. But, you know, the implications are, you know, for someone like you, if you were getting misidentified, is that you're going to have, you know, the weight of the state and the power of the state, you know, treating you as a criminal. Yeah. Right. And this can be very disruptive to someone's life. And, and if you're an immigrant and you may be an immigrant who's here, uh, legally, and you get flagged as a quote-unquote illegal immigrant. Mm. I don't think anyone's ever illegal, but to right. use the, the term, um, you may be deported, right? Yeah. Or you may be in an ICE um, prison for days or weeks. You know, and this is very disruptive. That you know, that means you're possibly ripped away from your family and you don't know if you ever be able to get back to see them or if you're lucky enough that they actually figure things out before they deport you, but you're in <laughs> prison for, you know, days or weeks, right. you may lose your job, etc. It can be a very disruptive um, experience to have the weight of and the power of the government bearing down on you because a piece of software misidentified you. Are we, have the government agencies been talking about, and you kind of alluded to this, and maybe they are, will this ever, are they ever looking for biometrics to replace 
you know, the, the physical IDs, uh, driver's licenses and passports and things, where you ever get to the, like, for instance, in China, this is already happening. You could walk up to a vending machine in China and it'll take a picture of your face. You don't have to have a credit card. You don't have to have anything. It figures out who you are based on, based on your face and you could buy something, you could get a candy bar. Um, and I've also read some articles in third world developing countries where a lot of, um, you know, health organizations are out there giving out, you know, daily rations of food and supplies or whatever, because of the environment and because it's kind of hard to mint a bunch of photo IDs and people don't necessarily always have them with them, that they've gone to facial, facial recognition technology. So they walk up to, they go to the store, their little, the little camp store um, where they give out supplies and you get your rations and you go to the counter and you just look at your face and they, then they mark it against your name and leave. Is this going to happen here? <laughs> Well, you know, in one area they're trying to make it happen is is actually the airport. So, you know, not just checking your face as the form of identification for when you are going through customs and border protection, but every aspect, you know, in theory of your experience at the airport um, that you need an ID for, you could use your face. At least that's that is what, you know, looking at the documentation that Epic obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, those documents suggest. So from curb to plane, you would just use your face. You actually would need an ID. So that's what they want to do in theory. So when you go to check in at the counter for your flight, they would just scan your face and they would leverage CBP's back end photo would be sent there to confirm your identity. If you need to um, check your bag, something that a lot of times that's separate now, you check your bag, they can use your face as an ID. And then obviously we talked about TSA and going through security. And, you know, you can use your face at the actual boarding pass, which they've tested too, tested in, in Boston and, and other places. Uh, you just use your face. So, so they, you know, CBP at least, in conjunction with its partners, you know, uh, TSA, other agencies, um, the airlines and airports are looking at the possibility that you would just come to the airport and all you would need to bring with you is your face. Um, and you would could, you know, go from the curb all the way to your flight with uh, the use of facial recognition. Wow. I mean, obviously, if we assume that all actors involved in this are, are perfect and good, that sounds convenient <laughs> but yeah there's just so, so many ways that could go wrong um so what happens add, oh, go ahead i'm just saying you know there's there are a lot of ways this can go wrong right yes. um, um you're never going to have perfect actors all the time and we're talking about the implementation of facial recognition in an environment where there's where virtually no regulations with mm -hmm. respect to its use None, none overarching comprehensive regulation at the federal level with respect to use of facial recognition in, in biometrics um, in general. So not only can you not depend that there will always be good actors, there's not even the regulations in place to prevent the bad actors from acting. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so... One of the things I always talk about with biometrics is, as identification and why it's it, it seems so tempting, but it has so many flaws is that you can't you can't change your biometrics. You can't it's not like you can change a password or change a user ID. Your face is your face. Your fingerprint is your fingerprint. Your iris is your iris forever. So I know there's been incidents of this that have already happened. But what 
what happens when this biometric information that's sitting in a database somewhere is stolen? And can you know can that data then be used to impersonate me, or is, is it another form of identity theft? And on that little teaser cliffhanger, we'll we will wait and finish it up next week. Uh, we'll go to the second half of our interview with Jeremy Scott, and it, it was so eye-opening to go through all these things and and talk about the real implications and where and why our laws just are not up to snuff. I mean, we just haven't, they just have not kept up with all this technology. Um, so we're really glad to have Jeremy on here to help explain it to us and help us really think through, I mean, you know, some of the, some of the positive aspects of this, some of the ways this could be used for good are, you know, are, I think are fairly obvious. Um, we, you know, obviously if we happen to know the faces of suspected terrorists and we want to try to catch them going through public places, you know, you can kind of see the benefit there, of course, or, you know, maybe somebody's lost and we're looking for a lost child or, uh, you know, silver alert kind of situations where you might want to be able to look for people. But we really, really have to be careful because there's so many ways that this could go wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of agree with uh, Jeremy and, and some many cities out there that are, that have passed ordinances against this and, and, uh, other places that are, that are looking to do the same where we really need to put a moratorium on this and hold, p- pump the brakes, uh, until we can really think this through and make sure that we've got the right protections in place before we just willy nilly deploy this everywhere. All right. So that ends this episode. If you, uh, are interested, you might go check out the epic website, epic.org. You can find the link in the show notes. Also one of Jeremy's books. Uh, he's written a couple books. Uh, you can find that information in the show notes as well. You might want to check that out. If you want to make sure you get next week's episode, of course, you should go and subscribe to the podcast. You'll make sure you get every episode and you'll never miss one. You would definitely want to miss next week's second part to this interview. And if you're enjoying this, I would love for you to put a nice rating on the, on this podcast and helps other people find it as well. Okay. That's it. Take care, everybody. And as always, until next week, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.